Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It's broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR website and the Freedom of Species website. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie, and today I'm going to share with you a presentation given by an environmental and animal activist, Terry Hurtado, He presented at the Decolonising Animals Conference in New Zealand in July 2019. And Terry talks about the animal rights movement in Colombia. He is introduced by Philip Armstrong. You'll find there's a part in the middle of the presentation where Terry shows a bullfighting protest video. It's a very, very full-on protest. And in that, you'll just hear the music that's been selected for that video. But just bear with us and then... He'll come back and talk more about that protest video. Okay, enjoy. Terry comes to us from Colombia. Um, He's a long-term activist in animal rights uh, and environmental issues um, and solidarity with Indigenous autonomy. He's based in Cali, Colombia. Um, He holds an MSc in holistic science. um, And he's um, involved in the Federación de Liberación Animal. It's the best that I can do. (laughs) He's a member of the International Anti-Bullfighting Network um, and uh, the Human Rights Committee of Cali. So you can see what I mean about intersectionality. He's done research on ethnomathematics. And if I knew what that was, I would be astonished. I know I would. Um, And water footprints. Um, And he's very committed to peace activism uh, as well. Um, And so he is going to um, speak to us about what an extraordinary experience it must be thinking about these issues in the context of um, a country with uh, so many struggles over such a long period of time as Colombia. Please welcome Terry Hurtado. Thank you very much for that generous presentation. Um, Good afternoon. Tena Koto, Buenas tardes. That last um, greeting is from Nasa Yue. Nasa is uh, one of the um, indigenous communities that are in Colombia and one of those I would work with for several years. I want to acknowledge the, this opportunity and effort done by ASA to open the South-South global dialogue that we're having here. It's highly uh, important, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I would 
I'm going to go through the uh, first part um, and do a, a risky thing that's not reading much at the beginning and going through the presentation, all this invitation of discomfort. And um, at the end, I'll go through some reflections of more a decolonizing perspective. And, okay. I must first introduce to you Sandra Cuellar. Um, and I'm introducing Sandra Cuellar because I made a commitment to myself uh, eight years ago, more or less. Sandra Cuellar is a person, an activist, um, who, which I worked with for almost two years in something that was known in Colombia as a referendum for the uh, water, in which we uh, looked to achieve water as a constitutional right in um, Colombia's constitution. But in the date that you could see in the slide, Sandra was forcibly disappeared, as many others in Colombia have been and actually are being forcibly disappeared or murdered. Until then, I had used probably as an unconscious way of protecting myself of all the pain that this lost means to forget. But for many reasons, Sandra was a tipping point to say, I won't forget anymore. And bring Sandra present in every talk I do as a way to honor and remember her and all the other people that have been murdered and disappeared in Colombia because they're being fighting for justice, human rights, and environment. So just to give you a sense where Colombia is and are in the north part of South America between Ecuador and Venezuela. And some beginnings of the animal broad protection movement, I'm going to use the uh, pro uh, protection, animal protection movement as a broad way to bring all in, all forest and into animal rights. And we had our first animal protection organization uh, 102 years ago in 1917 in the city of Medellin, which is the capital of the region of Antioquia. And it's still working, it's still running on, and they do a very interesting job. If some of you are familiar with um, Latin American literature, you probably have read Fernando Vallejo. Fernando Vallejo is the part of the family that runs this um, protection society in, in Medellin. His brother, Aníbal, is the president of the Sociedad Protectora Animales de Medellín. And we, there is not uh, much study done around the history of animal protection movement in Colombia, but we could have tracked um, the first anti-bullfighting protest that had happened in the country. And this happened in the late 60s in the city of Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia. And later on in the beginning of the 70s in the city of Medellin. Afterwards, in the mid 80s, uh, the first anti-bullfighting movement happened in the city of Manizales, which is the region 
of, of the capital of the region of um, Caldas, and in 1996 in Cali, the capital of the region of Valle del Cauca, where I am from. And these four cities are the four cities that have first category theory um, bull rings. That's uh, their levels of bull rings and of importance. And afterwards, I will um, continue talking about bullfights because bullfights has been a thread through uh, the development of the animal rights movement have raised. In the late 70s and early 80s, in the country started to be created animal defenders associations called Asociaciones Defensoras de Animales. Uh, that's why it's the single uh, ADA in all the country that approached animal issues from a welfareist perspective and they worked mostly with dog, cats, and horses. Horses that um, pull wagons. In Colombia, it's uh, very common to see horses that pull wagons to take um, constructive material and those kind of issues. So this was the main uh, approach in which in Colombia during the 80s um, the work came through. The anti-bullfighting movement then started to grow again in the mid-90s uh, as a way where youth would canalize this growing um, sense of respect for animals. And the dogs and cats persons that were gathered around the animal defenders associations will start to follow their own path where the more younger people were started to um, engage with activism that uh, until then hadn't happened much in the country. This animal um, activism uh, around bullfights was a, a new perspective that challenged the society. Uh, started to look um, to open new doors in the media that by then it was absolutely closed. Only the dog and cat issues would be recorded by the media. And even though in a way that kind of uh, assumed that the people that work with animals are kind of crazy people, you know, the, the crazy person of the dogs and cats. And by then, the discussion about bullfights was absolutely scaring for all journalists because that would mean enter in a conflict with the interests of the owners of the newspapers, which all are uh, um, have interest and are part of the owners of the bullrings. So that scared very much the journalists to come in um, to these kind of topics. And the this in this issue, we could start to notice how international um, influence started to come into the country. So the first text that these movements um, started to feed on were texts that came from Spain, 
although there was a, a book written in 1952 by Rodolfo Con Olaja that's called The Impious Sharmarchy and Its Corrupt Influence, this book didn't have much influence in the um, raising organizations that would um, fight against bullfights. But the influence was coming from Spain, from leaflets that were being photocopied. And those were being the scores that were being assumed by that moment by the activist. Lucky enough, uh, I had the chance to get a copy of Animal Liberation Spanish through a staff of HSI. It, could, it would pass me some years after, it would pass some years um, after Peter Singer started to be read more widely within the animal protection organizations. For this to happen was key that the well-established Spanish publisher uh, called Trota printed Animal Liberation. And in the case of Cali, a person decided to buy a big stock of books and give them away for free. Although the um, reality narrated in the book was not so close to Colombian's reality, the power of the concepts of animal liberation made an important mark in the new generation of the animal advocates that matched in an empowering way with the new methods and topics the youth was bringing in. By the late 90s, HSI and WSPA were pretty active in Colombia, where they held, where they had their office for South America. HSI and WSPA had their main work with shelters, but supported financially the anti-bullfighting organizations with a few actions during the year, which enabled a new way of working for animals that was emerging in the, in the country activism. And these years, um, there was a, a whole bunch of protests and the emerging of this new social actor that was the animal rights movement. Before animal rights wasn't animal rights, it was animal welfare, welfare, and animal welfare was assumed from a charity perspective. It wasn't a social actor. It wasn't a political actor. It didn't um, um, aim social change, and it didn't aim to challenge the establishment. It was very much a charity perspective in which um, it was aimed to help the, the animals uh, as the charity perspective does with um, humans that are in need those persons that are in need, but with no challenging of what causes, uh, what is the, the, the reason of the problem. The part of the animal rights movement started to interact and uh, have a dialogue with other movements. The environmental movement was one of those, and particularly in the city of Cali, we created with 15 organizations the Minimum Agenda, Environmental Agenda, which looked to push forward in the public agenda environmental topics and animal rights topics. And more than 
more important than the topic itself was the process that allowed us to empower the social movement and create a proper agenda, a own agenda, um, regardless of what uh, governments would say about it. And this agenda was our own agenda that we were trying to push in and to make it real with or without the support of the government. Nevertheless, we presented this agenda to the new or the candidates that were running for mayors and for city MPs to um, make them commit to that agenda. Some of them commit to that agenda and that was visibilized to the public so they could have an option to vote, but not asking people to vote for them. Many of, our, of us were by that time um, people that didn't vote for political, political reasons and therefore we were not asking people to vote for anyone. We wanted to shift the relationship between social organizations with the politicians, which by that moment were very much instrumentalized, where social organizations would present projects waiting to receive as exchange um, the favor of that politician um, when he or she got into seat, into the office. And that organization would help them with some votes and with their image and sometimes some image washing. And we didn't want to reproduce that model of interaction with politicians, but we were aiming to address from a free perspective. This got some um, interesting effects and achieved some elements. I'm not gonna stop there much. That later on was reproduced in something that was called Voto Animalista, the, let's say, animal vote in a national-wide sense. But before speaking a little bit about that, um, this, animal, this um, environmental agenda allowed to bring new issues to the press because we were kind of playing in the same arena of the institutional now, but being free anyways, and being critical, but very well um, argumented. And this created great respect from the institutions and from the part of the um, newspapers and journalists in general, and started to open some doors to speak a little bit more of other issues that before haven't been um, able to be addressed in, in the newspapers until we realized that we had to get a news, get a, an action done that no matter what would happen, they couldn't block it. They couldn't say, we are not seeing it, we're not publishing it. And the moment to do that was the moment in which there was a bill that looked um, make bullfights 
a culture um, good for the country and uh, declare it as a cultural hermitage of, of the country, which would be terrible. And we, oops, if I get this running, we did this direct action. The banner said, how much blood is your conscious be able to support? So this was an inflection point about media. They couldn't say it didn't happen. This, this reached CNN, and then it came back down through whole, all the country. And that was an inflection point. During the second half of the 2000s, we started to break the media barrier through using more creative ways of protesting. This happened in a good timing since there was a, an entering in the country of a new formats of new pa newspaper which aimed to target a younger public and this enabled to um, introduce new discussions. Shortly after this em embryonic uh, movement in a national scale aimed to be an influencer in elections as a uh, an old-fashioned feeling became a dangerous statement within the electoral context. For the animals, I will do whatever. So this was a very threatening um, and challenging moment when we started to introduce the, the influence or started to be, uh, have influence and look for influence in the elections. Just before expanding a little bit more on that, another uh, thread of the growth of the movement was or is uh, the anti-horse parade actions and agenda. Um, there's a big um, tradition in Colombia of riding horses in big crowds that could go from 100 to five or 7,000 in just one big gathering. The biggest one was actually in Cali as well, which was stopped in 2014. But in Pasto, which is a country, is the capital of the region of Nariño in the south of Colombia, it had the particular um, meaning that was not only legal as in the rest of the country, but was compulsory to do it within a traditional festival that is um, considered now a cultural her heritage of humanity. And it was very interesting because this brought the discussion within the people of Pasto that they didn't want the horse parade anymore. They didn't want it in this um, protection that the UN was going to give their festival that's called the Festival of Black and White um, to have the, the horse parade. And they managed to take out the horse parade 
and protect their festival as a festival that would have no animal abuse at all, even in the um, wagons that take the um, uh, the puppets that are part of, of the parade. So in 2010, we scaled what was the minimum environmental agenda to a nationwide um, perspective aiming only to push the animal agenda. And this was a, a national effort of many, around 30 animal rights organizations, animal protection organizations from welfarists to animal rights, um, looking for the president's elections of that time to commit to three, two topics, basically anti-bull fighting and um, banning of circus. I'll just go through. This is Gustavo Petro that afterwards became mayor of Bogota and stopped for some years um, bullfights. And this is when he was candidate for president the first time that he lost, but then allowed to bring in when he was a mayor, um, the issues that he committed to as a ca president, candidate for the president. The greatest potential of the movement would be its biggest threat, poli electoral politics. The vicious of in institutional politics increases the increased the tensions between organizations and became an increasing risk. The spectrum in which activists, the activist uh, wing of the movement, whom has in, in almost all of the cities of Colombia, the public and political leadership is from or has been from center to left, but this in some cases became more blurry and some started to search an approach to right that the right wings that were in power. The styles of institutional politics also started to appear in some of the organizations which compromised in order to show they had an achievement or supported institutional policy by presenting it to the public like a convenient to animals when it was really not. At the beginning of when I was thinking of the talk, I was thinking of doing something more, showing how wonderful the raisement of the movement was, but then I said, well, we have to show some other things. And the, one of the interesting um, achievements that was one of the first goals a hundred years before was to stop horse wagon pulling, horse pulling wagon. And this started in 2010 and today it's banned in all capitals, not in all capitals, in capitals that are over 500 inhabitants, which in Colombia it's fairly usual to have those sides of, of, of cities. And then we had a, a shift 
from the activists of organizations to the activists of citizens. Before, all the agenda was pushed by organizations, but in 2011 happened a terrible um, action by the police that hanged a dog and they filmed it. And this went to the media and people just were outraged about it. And citizens self-called um, for a national mobilization. Some organizations took part of it, but was basically people. And this was so important that for the first time, we were able to sit down the police, which is one of the strongest institutions in Colombia. And just to give you a sense, in Colombia, we still have compulsory military service. Um, and made them commit to, or made them um, create a, a policy, a police policy, national-wide for animal protection, which um, was an interesting achievement. And this brought us to the discussion of how are we going to stop bullfights, which has been, again, the thread that mobilized um, activists and brought uh, animal rights as a social movement. Because in 2010, there was a, uh, a constitutional um, demand that stated that in some parts of the, the country where there was not a hermitage, the bull fights, they would be banned. I had another video, but I'm not going to show it because of time. And we said we must try to achieve a constitutional consult, a popular consult, that's a decision, a constitutional mechanism that allows a decision for people to introduce laws. And this um, brought all types of actions. Um, part of the creative um, ways to call the press were these kind of actions like this photo in Medellin. And at the same time, when the anti-bullfighting movement was moving on, a few years before had started a movement to free animals from the circus. And this movement was stronger in the parts of the country where bullfights didn't happen, as the north coast or very south in the country. And that would be the thread for the raising and the emerging of the animal rights as a social movement, like it would be the anti-bullfight in more in the inner part of the country. And that circus movement and the anti-bullfight movement that in many cases were the same organizations behind, um, allowed this interaction to get to find um, similarities in our perspectives and find that some of us had an animal liberation perspective. And we did the first national animal um, liberation gathering in 2012-13. I'm going to pass through a little bit and show this short video that's one of the actions. This says, um, 
abolish the specimen is possible. That was a like, statement we, we took out of the gathering. And then we came out with this national action. So all these statues are leaderships of independence, Colombia's independence. July, which is the National Day of Independence, and then what it says there is, today I am against movements. We are aiming to re-symbolize the icons uh, of independence and pointing out there's part of the independence that hasn't been done. We uh, achieved political independence, but not cultural independence. We are still under the um, the the practice of what used to be the monarchy way of having fun, and we still have to achieve that kind of independence. So I'll carry on with a little bit more of reading. International organizations in Colombia, influence from the north, have not only been epistemologically with its consequential organization schemes and its aesthetics and discussions, those influence had also transferred strong tensions that NGOs have in the north to places where they arrive in the south and follow their fights in a stronger way there. Becoming in a kind, in, becoming in a, in a kind of cold war, these fights between the local branch of the NGO or their local ally is possible due to the locals that are recruited. Already, they already have tensions with another local group, which sometimes get linked to the opposite NGO. And therefore, they are used in a similar way as the African tribes be, be, uh, were used by the colonized colonizers to fight against each other, where the only one that wins is the foragin. Interesting enough, there was a difference between the welfareist NGOs that supported in the 90s and the more critical ones that are now. The first were supporting the process of the local organizations, whereas the second ones are supporting their own international process. Apparently, some international NGOs or international grassroots organizations seem to not take into account cultural context in each country. For instance, how advanced is the knowledge of the general public about veganism and the perception public might have of it, leading sometimes to repeat some of the mistakes or build the same stereotypes that veganism have in the North. Enrique Dussel points, the Argentinian scholar, points out that it might be a mistake to analyze the theoretical frameworks as a totality and not seeing the movements that are happening, are happening, the reality that is happening. In what extent there is internationalism in the animal rights global movement and in one extent there is 
animal rights neocolonialism. I'll just go fastly to point out that in 2015 happened something, and I'm, I know I'm running out of time, sorry, um, very interesting that we didn't expect is many animal activist advocates that had been working for years decided to run for elections for the lo as local MPs. These are some, all from different parties, some, and, and there's a lot that are not in this picture, but many got elected, and we didn't expect it, this at all. We didn't expect it. And that was a bell ringing for us for two things. One, the people that supported the movement were willing to accompanion the organizations and the leaderships of the animal rights movement or the animal protection movement as a wild, uh, wide um, perspective to that new scenario of fight for animals. But the second element was we must be aware the professional politicians are seeing this and they might, actually they already had started by then, but not with um, enough support, they started to create false animal advocates to capture the vote of the animal interest people. But in Colombia, there's a huge amount of money that moves behind elections. And this finally ended in that in 2018, in the region of Valle del Cauca, we run for elections and we got almost to the, uh, we're running for the Congress for a lower chamber and we almost got to the Congress. We were second in votation within the Green Party. The Green Party only got one seat so we could, didn't get in, but this was so relevant that the first time in the history of Colombia, two of the three main candidates for president gave us an interview, a 15-minute interview, only speaking about animal rights. Actually, we didn't want to interview the other one uh, candidate because it was a ultra-right wing that at the end started winning the elections, but we didn't want to give him space, so we didn't interview him. And so just to finish and follow the question about um, internationalism or neocolonialism, from the experience they might be created from experience it might be created new categories. The Magia Indigenous and Nobel Prize, Rigoberta Minshu states, start from the experience, not from the books. But how can it be started from the own experience if the ex experience is being determined from the well-funded international grassroots organizations with rigid scripts to be followed? Is establishing the ways of action of activists a way to colonize the experience? Dussel also states that the slaves talk the language of their master when they rebel, or the woman express herself from the patriarchal ideology when she starts her liberation.
In Colombia, most of the people that had heard about veganism and mostly activists have heard it through international animal rights organizations. This shows what Rita Segalo calls, the uh, also Argentinian scholar and feminist, calls equality, inequality of relative influences. So the circulation of ideas give format to histories and realities. In this case, to what is veganism. In this case, denying the opportunity for South Americans to create an own narrative about veganism. A narrative that might be linked to, to a native tradition or not to a high standard level of consumption or income. This lack of cultural situation might also be holding the Colombian animal rights movement to bring in a new perspective or more radical ones as it is getting attached to the ways of animal abuse that happen in the north, but not looking into with more interest those that are happening in the south. That might, uh, that might, uh, suit, might be more subtle, but therefore might bring a deeper critique. So our responsibility from the animal rights movement of the South is to continue, continue unhooking, as Walter Mignolo called it, calls it, from the animal rights activism of the North in order to build animal rights activism that would help to build total liberation. Thank you. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio on 855am. You just heard a talk from Terry Hurtado from the recent Decolonising Animals Conference in New Zealand. If you Google Decolonising Animals Conference, you'll find some other excellent talks given at that same event. And they were all recorded by Gonzalo Villanueva, who wrote the book A Transnational History of the Australian Animal Movement, 1970 to 2015. And in fact, Gonzalo was on Freedom of Species just last year discussing that very book. So you can find that episode in the archives of our Freedom of Species website. Now, we've got some big news. Freedom of Species has just joined the iRaw podcasting network, and that means that you can find our podcasts with a whole bunch of other fantastic podcasts about animals on this one single website, iRawPod.com, and it's constantly being added to, so you'll always find something new to listen to. 
you should check it out. I reckon it's pretty bonkers. So go to iRawPod.com and you spell iRaw, I-R-O-A-R. So just put that in your memory bank, iRawPod.com. It's got heaps of great uh, podcasters constantly being added to as the podcasts are produced and it's pretty unreal. Now let's go for a song. I've got a song here for you by Joe Pug. Let's have a listen. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. That last song was Joe Pug's hymn number 101. Now, there's going to be a cocktail fundraiser for Dingo Den at Penrith RSL. It'll be raising funds for the vulnerable dingo. Tickets are $75, and it's happening on Saturday the 21st of September. Ticket sales finish in a week, so be quick, get online, buy your ticket now. You can check out the event and all the details and the booking link on Facebook. The, the event's called Dingo Den Dreaming Cocktail Fundraiser. So anyway, that's all we have for today. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. You can email us at info at org. And thank you to Terry Hurtado and thank you to the Decolonising Animals Conference in New Zealand. I'm going to leave you with a couple of songs. Maybe we've got time for two songs. Mr Potato, that's the next song coming up. Mr Potato's by The Vegetable Plot, which is a Sydney band. And then I'm going to finish with a request from my boy, and that request is Backstroke Raptor. He's been hanging out for me to play this, so this one goes out to him. So stay tuned for Encyclopedia coming up at 2 o'clock, and we will see you next week. See ya. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.